Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. This is producer Carmen Baskoff. Today is Juneteenth. It's a holiday that marks the day slavery finally ended in Texas two years after the Emancipation Proclamation. We don't often think of Connecticut as a slave state, and we often celebrate the role of Connecticut's abolitionists. But American slavery was not just confined to the South. There are an estimated 5,000 slaves who lived and worked right here in Connecticut. And what's more, Connecticut's economy was deeply intertwined with the institution of slavery in the American South and in the West Indies. It's an economic legacy that is still with us as a state today. As we commemorate the Juneteenth holiday and reflect on the legacy of slavery in this country, we wanted to share with you a conversation Lucy had a few years ago with Jennifer Frank. She's the co-author of Complicity, How the North Promoted, Prolonged, and Profited from Slavery. Jennifer, I wanted to learn a little bit about the the backstory, uh, so to speak, on how uh, you uh, ended up working on this book, Complicity. Um, you had a long career at the Hartford Current, and there was some um, reporting that was done. Tell us about that. Right, right, Lucy. Uh, a couple of years before that, uh, there was a story that came across the wires uh, that said Aetna was apologizing for having insured slaves uh, before the Civil War. And this was surprising. It was unbelievable. And uh, I put it on page one, and it caused quite a ruckus. Uh, We got calls from across the world. And um, it was a a big deal. After that, uh, some reporters from The Current which is famously the uh, longest continuously published newspaper, blah, 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 in America. So they started looking into, gee, did the current possibly profit from slavery? And, oh, yes, uh, the current ran runaway slave ads for a long time. We were able to find copies of these ads. That went on page one. Um, it ended up with someone from The Current apologizing for doing that. But really, the ball started rolling then. And uh, there was a lot going on in the news, and the word reparations kept coming up. So at this point, I was at Northeast Magazine, The Current's former Sunday magazine, and we started looking into Connecticut's role and found out that it had a big role in slavery that along with really other states throughout the North, this was not a Southern institution only. This was, uh, the, the whole country was involved. Jennifer, how did you go about uh, finding out the, the extent of Connecticut's role in slavery and how the Northeast benefited uh, from it? What did you do? Well, uh, we spoke with uh, historians. We spoke with a number of people. There, there was a, a historian at Yale at the Gilder Lehrman Center um, and uh, named Rob Forbes. And just one thing followed another, Lucy, and it turned out that 
the the reality in our state we thought we knew Connecticut and we didn't we we didn't understand at all and we looked at census reports and at its height there were 5,100 slaves in this state. There were slaves throughout the Northeast, throughout New England and the Northeast. And it wasn't generally the plantation-style slavery that you had in the South, really in in large part because of geography. Um, You know, we don't have the land. But a lot of the most prominent citizens uh, own slaves and That's what happened. Uh, We talked about the number of slaves that are estimated to have lived and worked in Connecticut. But can you talk a little bit about how our economy at that time was built on the backs of the slave labor uh, in the South, as well as the free labor they got up north from Connecticut to Rhode Island to uh, Manhattan? Absolutely. It um, in in our book, we focus to some extent on cotton. And uh, cotton was, of course, grown in the South. And cotton fueled the entire economy of the country at that point. And much, if not most of the cotton came through New York City, was sent to the Industrial Revolution was going on. There were textile mills, of course, in England were the huge ones, but also in Massachusetts, in Connecticut, in Rhode Island. They they dotted all the streams and rivers um, of the Northeast. And uh, there were Boston financiers who created, the, virtually created the cities of Lowell. Uh, and Lawrence, and you can still, on the Mass Pike, you can still see the huge former factories where they um, turned the cotton into uh, textiles. There was a, a relationship between North and South. We were one country. We were working together. And um, cotton is just one example, a huge example of that. Jennifer Frank is co-author and editor of Complicity, How the North Promoted, Prolonged, and Profited from Slavery. Uh, We talked about the connection uh, to cotton uh, from uh, the influence from what was coming up from the South and how uh, northern cities uh, benefited and helped pass through. But what are some of the other industries uh, that benefited from slavery uh, in the Northeast? Well, well, Connecticut's uh, nickname was the provisioning state. Sugar was so incredibly profitable that every inch of land on these islands down in the West Indies was devoted to growing sugarcane, but they needed supplies. They needed the, the, they had to feed these people. They, they needed uh, uh, barrels to, to ship it. There was the, uh, the famous or infamous triangle trade. And Connecticut was involved, incredibly involved in all of this. It made barrels. Weathersfield uh, today, is the, its symbol is the red onion, and they would send those down um, to the, the West Indies, and we would uh, send horses, and, and people made a good living up here. And by, by helping feed the, the millions of slaves there over so many years— and uh, very famously, as my, my co-author Ann Farrow wrote about, uh, we've got Ivoryton, Connecticut. And gee, why is that called Ivoryton? Well, uh, ivory was a huge commodity back then. Pianos were just piano and billiard balls. 
um, were made of ivory. And where does ivory come from? It comes from elephants. And um, who brought the elephants to the to the shore? The, they were hundreds of thousands of of slaves who were involved in this, who died in this treacherous um, enterprise. And ivory tin made a fortune making keys and billiard balls. So Connecticut was involved in on a, on a lot of different spheres, but as Harriet Beecher Stowe said, it was largely at a distance. So we had all the profits, but none of the screams. I'm not sure I have that mm-hmm. correct. But um, we did very well, as did New York, which just... Uh, New York was so involved in the cotton trade that when the southern states started to secede from the Union, the mayor of New York suggested publicly that New York secede as well because it was so dependent on the trade. Mm. We often we talk about uh, slavery and American slavery. We think about uh, the North and the abolition movement, but Again, when you hear about these stories and mm-hmm. what has come to light uh, over recent decades, uh, it's something that was also uh, the North had an issue with trying to to uh, encounter the fact that they were part of this mm-hmm. as well. And you mentioned that uh, when the Etna uh, Jennifer, when the story ran about Etna um, uh, insuring slaves, uh, that that caused a ruckus. That was the word you mm-hmm. used. But what was the reaction when your book came out? Well, it was generally extremely positive, and um, a lot of people were interested. It's interesting, though, that when we went, when we would go and talk to people and talk to schools, a lot of pushback and a lot of people saying, uh, well, when this was going on, my relatives were in Ireland or England or, or wherever, so they had nothing to do with it. But, but in fact, those ancestors came to a country that was built up on the backs of free labor. And if they're white, they, they profited indirectly from it. And it's not a blame game. It's, right. You've got to understand who we are and where we're from. And that's what we were trying to do in the book. And it's vital. We just can't move on and be a healthy society without this. That was Jennifer Frank, co-author of Complicity, How the North Promoted, Prolonged, and Profited from Slavery, speaking to where we live back in 2018. I'm Carmen Baskoff. Thanks for listening.